what since the second half really how much they've really struggled charged with finding some stability from this scrum and he can't find it that's a mighty shot a mighty Mark Lester the scrum battle resumes now and a big shot from Brazil oh that's sensational this episode of the journey of a grassroots rugby coach is brought to you by Bull and Bear Crew. Bull and Bear Crew is a range of men's skincare products. There is face moisturizers, face mist, body wash, beard wash, shave oil, and moisturizer. They come in a 100 ml pack, aluminium bottles. So they're safe for traveling. You can use them check-in your baggage. Uh, they also come in larger at-home bottles. All bottles are refillable, reusable, and recyclable. You can buy refill pouches to refill bottles you have at home if you don't want to purchase bottles from Bull & Bear Crew. Um, they've just been released. A great product, um, all natural, uh, all vegan, tested on men, not on animals. Um, all that good stuff. Recyclable, reusable, and refillable. So you can use them over and over and over again. Go to their website, check them out, www.bullandbearcrew.com. Uh, place your order. At the moment, they're only shipping within Australia, um, but keep your ears and your eyes out to the website. Uh, they may be able to extend the shipping at some point in the future. Um, please enjoy this episode. Welcome back to the next episode of The Journey of a Grassroots Rugby Coach. And today, my guest is Justin Carroll. Justin is the current Director of Rugby at Valley Fort Rugby Club in Hong Kong. He's also a Level 4 Coach and a World Rugby Master Coach Educator. In his 26 years as a secondary school teacher, Justin was the Director of Rugby or the first 15 coach at many schools in Queensland and also in Victoria. He's also held the role as Manager of Coach Education while he was with Rugby Victoria. This is part one of a two-part episode. But during this episode, we speak about the difficulties of the rugby landscape in a non-rugby country, having skill sets transition from age group to age group, breaking bad habits, and setting up players and coaches with good technique. I took a heap away from this chat with Justin, and the original chat went for nearly two hours. That's why it's a two-part episode. Feel free to pass this on to any coaches that you think might benefit or get something out of it. As always, like, give us a thumbs up, write us a review, jump on Google, give us a review, YouTube, all the same. Give us a review, give us a like, hit the subscribe button. It's how we grow. It's how we get out there. Um, again, thanks very much for listening. Hope you enjoy this chat with Justin Carroll. Just a reminder that a great supporter of the show is Showcase Beers Cafe in Scarborough in Queensland. They're at Shop 6, 113 Landsborough Ave, Scarborough. They're open Wednesday to Friday, 5 p.m. till late. Saturday and Sunday, 12 p.m. till late. They have nine different independent craft beers on tap, but by the, by the time you listen to this, they've probably got 10 or 12 or 15 uh, beers because they're always expanding have basic spirits and a small selection of wines. Fully functioning kitchen, and you can get some awesome pizzas and nachos, and they do four styles of chicken wings and many more. And trust me, I've been there. The food is very good for pub food, um, but the beers are sensational. Sunday afternoons, they have an acoustic session from 3 p.m. 
So if you're up in the area, up around Scarborough, make sure you call in, sit and have a nice cold beer, and you can look out over the ocean. Here's a classic example. So the 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 mini program here, which is that we're talking under fives. I mean, yep. under fives, it's not rugby. It's activities. Yeah. And it's, yep. it's all about, um, you know, coordination, balance, speed. So you get them running, you get them finding space. They're just learning the, the movement of their own bodies. And they're doing that for two or three years. So the actual the amount of rugby being played. And that and that's one of the things that I've sort of tried to get across to the coaches here. Take the rugby out of it and take the actions into it. Put the actions into it. So the finding space and the can they bear crawl? Can they stand on one leg and balance? Have they got speed? Can they run with a ball in two hands? They're just games. But yeah. down the track, they'll realise they're rugby specific. But at the moment, it doesn't matter that they're rugby specific, you know. They're at a rugby club. They're in a rugby training top. So it's rugby, but the actual activities they're doing don't reflect that until yeah. they get to under sort of sevens, you know. Yeah. All right, mate. Um, well, let's make a start. Um, so thank you, Justin, for being with me. Um, just for the people that probably don't know who you are, um, the Justin Carroll story in a nutshell. Oh, mate, geez. Um Basically, born and bred in Queensland, and was a teacher, a secondary school teacher for 26 years, uh, teaching secondary education. I was trained in, uh, believe it or not, history and geography with a secondary in phys ed. So I basically started out as a secondary school history and geography teacher. So been early on in my uh you know, as a player, I played a bit at school, never really to any great level. And then early on in my teaching career, I just found playing a bit of club rugby on a Sunday and trying to get up for work on a Monday. I just, yeah, I just lost, <laughs> I just lost that, the interest in it. But because I'm a teaching, I, I really got into coaching. And, and very early on in North Queensland, they basically, I was at a very strong rugby league school. Um, that, that produced, you know, famous Queensland rugby league players actually, and they had a rugby team, and they no one want, you know, no one wanted to coach it or whatever. So yeah. I thought I'll give this a crack, and I was twenty four years old, you know, and then I, because I didn't, no one up there sort of knew a lot about rugby, and uh, I just applied teaching principles to coaching, and away we went, you know, and so that sort of progressed came back to Brisbane and then I was lucky enough to always have positions where I was either a head of sport or a director of rugby at boys independent schools, which were obviously rugby schools, schools like Villanova College, Ipswich Boys Grammar School, Brisbane Grammar School. And I got to see some really quality coaches in those times and got the experience and luckily enough, you know, the coach at first 15 GPS level, uh, first 15 AIC level in, in Brisbane. And then in 2014, took up the role of uh, director of rugby at Marcelin in Melbourne, which basically didn't have a rugby program. Um, it, or if it did, it was very much in its infancy, playing second division, all of that kind of stuff. And I, um, I basically just through through my 
efforts into that and luckily had a really good principal there who saw the values of rugby in that in, in that AFL environment, very strong AFL school, um, Marcus Bontempelli and guys like that go there, went there. But he saw those kids that didn't get into AFL were basically going to rugby because they couldn't, they weren't physically yeah. capable of playing AFL um, to that level or to a level that was really acceptable to the school. So they just went and played rugby to play sport, boys being boys. And I just thought, we can tap into this and we can, you know, we, we can actually develop a rugby program here that will eventually challenge the St. Kevin's and that of this world. And uh, made in 2000. And so we went from Division 2, um, played in Division 2 for one year, went straight to the boss and said, mate, the one thing these boys and what boys in general, and it's always been probably part of coaching principles, they want to be challenged all the time um, rather than just sit back and rest on their laurels. So I said, mate, let's just go to Division 1, you know, and let's say we're now with the big boys. Let's let's rise to meet that challenge rather than, because we're in Division 2 winning by 70 and 80. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, we, we actually had an Australian schoolboy playing Division 2 in Victoria um, in 2014 and 2015, mate, he was scoring seven tries a game. You know, mm. teams were forfeiting after half time. Mercy rules, so it just wasn't worth it. So Tom Tom Blake was that fella's name. So he went and played for the Australian Schoolboys that year. But um, on the back of that, I got into obviously coaching the Victorian 18 Schoolboys, and actually coach was the head coach of that group for six years, and was lucky enough in. 2017 to be one of the coaches for the Australian School of Barbarians um, for test matches against New Zealand and Fiji, which is a great experience. And again, just exposed to that sort of top end of junior rugby, that sort of under 18, under 19 level. And by then I'd sort of, you know, sort of used my, uh, my teaching background and that and my interest that I got into, you know, the whole accreditation process, coaching. So by then I was sort of, you know, I'd done my level three, level four now, the performance coach course was referee. And then I got asked by Michael McGrippolis at Rugby Australia if I was interested in doing the world rugby accreditation courses so that I could become a, a coach and a trainer for coaches. And so I went through that process as well. So I've now got master trainer status with world rugby and uh, performance level four, level one referee. And I've just applied all of those things in, in the journey as, as I've sort of traveled along. I mean, I was lucky enough to do Moorabbin first grade for three years. I did Footscray first grade for a year. So I, I might have always just been coaching, you know, um, and if it's not, an under-13 team, it's been a first-15 team or it's been a men's team or whatever. But I, when the opportunities have come, and then I worked with Hendo and I ended up with a full-time gig at the um, at the Mel, at the Rugby Victoria. So got involved there as manager of coach education across Victoria. And I was lucky enough that um, Rugby Australia used to send me to the southern states to deliver courses. So I was... I'd often go to South Australia or Tasmania to deliver level twos and develop those coaches along. And a lot of them now are coaching premier grade in those states. And, you know, I see the names. I mean, I know you're on courses that I 
Yeah. I delivered yep. at Harlequins and stuff, <clears throat> fully. So, you know, I've sort of, for seven years down there, I, I, fell, I had a, a fairly strong fingerprint on coach education. And also just making sure that people, I don't know, I suppose I've got to be politically correct here, but the people earned their accreditation the right way. Yeah. Um, and that they weren't handed out like lollies. And, you know, if they had to be assessed, they had to be assessed properly. And if they had to submit something, it had to be submitted properly, you know, and because I think there was a period there nationally, not just, I'm not talking about Victoria, but there was a period there nationally where I think there was a lot of under the table accreditations flying around all over the place. And, and, and I think coach education lost its way for a bit and lost its value. But and it's guys like um, Grippy or Michael McGrippolis who actually put it back on the table and, and made it made them worthwhile, and then morphed it into getting away from that linear concept of I've got a level one now I've got to get a level two now I've got to get a level three or whatever. You know, if you're an under twelve coach at a junior rugby club, you don't need a level three. You need <sighs> you need a course that suits what you're coaching. Yeah, and so. If you want to be the best coach you want to be at under twelve level, we've now got we've now got a curriculum that'll or Australia does has a curriculum that allows you to do that. So, so I was sort of in the midst of all of that over the seven years I was I was in Victoria, and um, mate, then the opportunity came to um, basically COVID was was coming or had come, and uh, a job opportunity popped up in you know one of the social medias or whatever you follow as, as a rugby guy, you know, whether it's coach jobs or whatever it is. And it was this role at this club called Valley Fort in Hong Kong. And I thought, so I Googled it and had a look at it. And they were after a director of rugby to basically set them on a, as I, I said to you earlier, before we started talking, it, it, it was or is, the largest rugby club, junior rugby club in Southeast Asia, although now it's been whacked around by COVID a bit. But, you know, 900 kids running around on every Sunday, under fives to under 18s, all run by volunteers, the whole thing. So we're talking about a fairly large amount of income coming in, having to be managed by basically mums and dads, all from professional environments, obviously, because of the nature of Hong Kong. But they used the senior players who played for the senior team, like the equivalent, the equivalent of the premier grade side. They used those guys who are sort of semi-professional, some of them, as coaches in the junior program. So someone would come to Hong Kong, they'd say, oh, yeah, we'll give you sort of a little bit of a retainer, we'll give you someone to stay, come and play for the premier men's team, but you can earn X amount of money dollars per month by coaching a junior team. Oh, yeah, we'll do that. We'll do that. No problem. And it gave them pretty good money. But I think the um, quality control got a little bit lost. Um, and, you know, we're talking 25, 26-year-old fellas who have come to Hong Kong to play rugby. Um, you can imagine what their post games are like. And, you know, they like to get out <laughs> and enjoy Hong Kong, which is fine. And then we need them at eight o'clock on a Sunday morning to coach a an under thirteen boys team, you know. So, so that sort of I think got a little bit 
I mean, loose might be a bit strong for it because there are still some very good coaches in there, but um, it just needed a bit of structure and a bit of a bit of guidance. And no, I went through the process. COVID put a bit of a pause on it. Just the start of COVID put a bit of a pause on it. And then I think about four or five months into COVID, they got back to me and said, are you still interested? And I said, yeah, absolutely. And so in October, I, I got offered the position. So then it was held up a little bit because of quarantining and visas and all that kind of stuff. But basically now I'm in um, the second year here. And, and basically, you know, year one was a, a have a look at the landscape kind of situation. But then it's what, is, what does this club need? And I think it's one of those situations where you can't go in with your own mindset. You've got to wait until you see what's on the ground and then apply. Well, for me, it was either 26 years of teaching and involvement in rugby at junior level up to under 19s, you know, up to sort of coaching, did some coaching obviously with the Rebels under 20s, Rebels under 19s. So up to that representative top end of junior and bottom end of senior, what's required to get some continuity, some seamless transitions from age group to age group and some accountability in the in the coach performance. And I think the big thing for them was that they were hoping, and I and I think we're on the path and, and doing quite well at providing a consistent product for these parents who pay decent money to register their kids with this club. So I have I am of the firm belief, and it's not me, I mean, I yes, I do coach the under 18, the top top team in the club, with one of the pro coaches who's actually just left to go and represent Hong Kong in the repercharts to try and get them into France 2023. They've just taken off for Dubai. Um, but um, it's basically for making sure that there's some consistency and the environments that we're providing from under, we use the pro, we use the pro players from under ten up, and from under nines down, we use dads and mums, mm-hmm. um, and I put them through you know non-contact courses and all of that kind of stuff to make sure they're accredited and that they're they're improving their skill set as well. And uh, but yeah, a consistent approach that provides continuity and quality of product to the, um, the stakeholders in the club. And so that was basically my brief. Yeah, so here I am. And, and I'm into se- the second year here. And, you know, we had some great success last year until COVID, COVID whacked us on the head with about three weeks to go in the season and just shut the whole thing down. So they canned the season. And then just on this Sunday, we start the new season because it's an overlapping season over here. Starts in one year, finishes in the other. So, like a cricket season back home. So, um, yeah. So we're looking forward to big things, even though we've got reduced numbers. But the the, the biggest thing for me has been the a dramatic improvement, I believe, in the quality of coaching and what they're coaching and how they're coaching. Yeah. And I think that's really important um, because when I arrived, basically it was premier grade guys. Coaching juniors the way they're coached, and that just doesn't work. We, you know, we, how, <laughs> and that's how we that's how we learned to coach. And you look Absolutely. back now and you go, "Oh my god, that is so terrible." But that's yeah. we did what we knew from playing, and yeah, 
Ab- absolutely. I mean, if I look back when I started coaching, it was the same thing. I just looked at A, who I coached, or B, who I observed, and went, yeah, I'm going to apply that. Or, you know, you hear or read about what Eddie Jones did at the Brumbies or whatever. Go, yeah, let's do that with the under-14s. But, I mean, that, that's a classic example. You know, a, a, an on-field example would be last year, under-14 boys team pro coach came in. First thing he did was start talking one through three ones. Oh and I'm going, God. these kids can't <laughs> even catch these kids can't even catch a pass, you know. <laughs> so I stripped it right back and I just basically um through all the resources I could find, um, Canadian, English, Australian curriculums in rugby, created a skills, basically a skills format for each age group. So it's the old, it's the old uh, classic of the under thirteen coach doesn't have to recoach the under twelve stuff because the under twelve coach has done his or her yeah. job, and we've got then a, a spiraling progression of skills that hopefully is then showcased at under eighteen level. So that we've got, and, and I think the way I spoke to the board here about it was what we want to do is a Valley Fort under eighteen player who leaves the club to go and play senior. What does he look like? And what's his skill set and what's his demeanor as a person and as a player. And if we can create that in the majority of our kids, we're we're going to be successful. And so that's so so the under 14 coach or the under 12 coach doesn't have to worry about what anyone else is doing. They've just got to worry about the skill set for that group. And then that connects like a link in a chain through the club. And we're we're getting there. We're getting there with that. Yeah. No, that's really good. That, um, and unfor- unfortunately, that's not a, that's not common practice. No, well, it's interesting. I mean, I've had some conversations in the last just in the last week or so about various coaches and teams, and it's you can see some coaches putting a blueprint on a team without worrying about well, who's in the team. No, yeah, you know, and and they don't want to change the way a team plays based on the cattle they've got because they have in their, they're locked into this, this is how rugby should be played. Well, it can be played, it's a, you know, as you know, Bully, it's a fairly simple game. It's, you know, it's a game of territory and possession and you just got to keep it from them and you got to do better than them when you've got it. And there's a variety of ways of doing it. And you look at the international teams, North, Northern Hemisphere, Southern Hemisphere, Everyone's playing a different brand, but it's the same game. Yeah. But these coaches that come in and go, this is, this is, you know, like this is Andrew Shaw's way of playing rugby and his 22 kids and you're now going to fit into my way of playing rugby rather than the coach looking and saying, I'm going to adjust because of who you are, not because of who I am. Yeah. And and it's the old it's the old coach centric, isn't it? Because mm, too many mm. co- too many coaches out there, and I'd like to think it's changing, but too many coaches out there are it's all about me rather than it's all about you. And if it's not about the players, then and sometimes I think you know you see in sports in professional sports where you see that that old adage that the coaches lost the locker room. Yeah, you know, I, I just think that's the most tragic saying because. To me, that's a coach who obviously didn't identify the group he had at the start. So he's gone, he or she has gone in there 
and said, this is, you're going to fit in with me. I'm not going to fit in with you. Well, who outnumbers who? <clears throat> and so yeah. if you've got 25 people and personalities up against one, well, there's only really one result if there's if there's a fracturing or a disintegration of relationship because, as, as you'd know, um, yep. and a lot of people who do coach know, it's so much about the relationships you make. And if you haven't got them on board, it's a, it's a, it's the uphill battle is even steeper. Yeah. And I think that's a good point that you make. And especially you see it at the professional level and those guys actually have some say over who they get to play for them. Absolutely. Where yeah. Like you said, we turn up on a Saturday and you've got three kids that can't catch a ball, uh, three yep. kids that have never played before, you know, mm. and you go, well, I want to, I want to play a ruck mall game. Well, I've, mm. got, I've got no one that knows how to ruck them all. Oh, we'll have to teach. Well, no, what what can they do? Exactly. Exactly. Find their strengths. You know. And instead of instead of bully putting those three kids you can't catch and pass, historically, where do they end up? On the, on the wing. wing. Yeah. And well, they can't catch. You know, they're out of the game. They're not learning a skill set in in you know activities. And you know, one of the things that we've really focus on over here in Hong Kong and it's just a different phrase and a different way of doing it but we call it action zones and game zones and so we an action zone is what's the action you're actually trying to teach the players yeah. and then straight away we go from an action zone to a game zone so we take exactly what we're doing in that action zone and we create a game based around it yeah. so that they're automatically getting experience or exposure to it under pressure in a competitive environment um, you know, and kids up against kids, all they want to do is be competitive. Yeah. But we we make sure that in the action zone, we we you know we double down on what the actual skill is, and it, you know, in the old school, it's skill acquisition, and then in yeah. the game sense, you know, but we call it action zones and game zones. But you've got to include those kids that can't catch and pass in those because you break up into small groups, et cetera, et cetera, and, and they don't get excluded. And so everyone develops. The good kids can keep getting better and the not-so-good kids can get better in relative terms to where they are now because they're fully involved rather than being stuck out on a wing or... Yeah, I mean, you know, I've seen, I've seen mm. 35 years of it, you know, of the yeah. wicked kid being, being excluded. And yeah, the kid that can't catch pass, but what can he do? Exactly, he might be able to run fast, or he yeah. might be able to. He might yeah, be able to slot goals. He, like he, he might be able to tackle like a demon and slot goals from fifty meters out. Exactly. So let's. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, so you find a role. You find yeah. a role for him. Yeah, absolutely. Every time. Yeah. You know, one of, one of the things I've got, I've sort of mentioned over here is, like, I know it's traditional, but when you've got limited numbers in your group. You know, we talk about functional roles in rugby. Mm. Everyone goes, well, the hooker's functional role is he's got to be able to throw into a line out. Well, what if he can't, but he's got the body shape and scrummaging ability to be the hooker? So you find someone else who can throw into a line out. You know, it doesn't have to be the hooker. Yeah. But, but some coaches would look and go, well, if my hooker can't throw into a line out, he can't be my hooker. And that's just the completely wrong mindset, you know. Because there's plenty of professional um, hookers we know can't throw to a line out. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely so yeah absolutely so yeah it's one of those things that and over here we've got such a a broad range of nationalities first of all yeah so 
we're an, we're an expat club traditionally. Yeah. So we've got Welsh, French, English, South African, Kiwi, Aussies, all mixed in together. You know, yep. and kids who have come or, you know, come from the Cranbrooks and come from the the Joeys and whatever. Yeah. And then now mum and dad have moved, or dad's moved, mum and dad have moved to Hong Kong. So the first thing they want to do is find a rugby club. And because we're sort of an expat club, they go to where word of mouth sends them kind of thing. Um, and then what we're trying to do now, obviously, is tap into the local community, which is a challenge at best because mm. as Hong Kong is not an... Um, kids don't generally run around in parks and kick footies and things like that. They're very, it's very indoors. It's very confined. And it's a challenge to introduce rugby to them. So we're working really hard uh, and using Cantonese speaking, um, particularly the female players from the senior club who have local women playing. The women's program is very strong in the senior club and they're Cantonese speaking. So we're getting them to engage with the, the Cantonese speaking population here so that we can start bringing them into our club. Otherwise, you know, you, you won't survive. So we're to, we'll, we'll actually broaden our brush even further, which will then create more coaching challenges because you'll have language difficulties, you'll have physicality difficulties, and obviously the, the, the novice will be in with players who have come from environments where they've been playing rugby since they were young. So... There's more challenges lying ahead, but it's an ex it's an exciting thing to to try and find a program that will suit all of those and and a a um, a product yeah. which 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 it is to suit all of those sort of um, those differentiations when it comes to the type of kids we're gonna, we're going to have. And then there's the environment over here, which is just everything's on astroturf, you know. Yeah. Okay. And they're on small fields, so they're narrow fields. The ball, so on an astro field turf, you know, those that haven't experienced it, the ball, if you let a ball bounce, it bounces 12 feet in the air. So you can actually buy a lot of time on a first bounce from a kick rather than it just bouncing and rolling. So learning the environment here and applying that when it comes to, you know, how you want to coach and what kind of kids you've got and how you can utilise that um is another challenge and because the fields are narrow like some of them are only 50 meters wide you know so playing to an edge has a completely different oh, meaning yeah over here yeah absolutely yeah so you've got to you know you don't sort of shifting the ball is they play a fast brand but it's really fast sort of and the better teams are an offloading team through the middle yeah. because yeah. you you just can't play a you can't play a switch or a cut and get to a get to a winger with speed because it's too narrow and the defense the the defense isn't spread like they are on a normal field. Yeah. So manipulating D as an attack coach is a real challenge because the defense is by geography um, closer together yeah. because the sidelines are closer together. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Mate, I want to circle back to the point you made about. Like you're trying to get out in the community and get the the Cantonese speakers and and all that those kids and people involved in the club. So and we've probably all been in a situation where we've arrived at a club and we've got players, especially in the junior level, where you've got you know your Marcelin, for example, you've got an Australian schoolboy playing, and then you've got the kid 
next to him that couldn't catch a cold in the middle of winter. And as a coach, you want to go, well, I want to develop this guy because I know he's going to, he's got potential, but I've got to develop this guy as well because as we know, they're the guys that go on to be the club presidents, the sponsors, like they're just rugby people. You know what I mean? So what advice would you have for for the coaches when they get there and, and they've got those players that, you know, well, they're already at a level, but I want to progress. Because if you don't progress those kids, they're going to go and find somewhere else. But I want to keep these kids in because, you know, you can see something in the kid or you just go, you know what, this kid's here giving it a crack. So we've got to make it as fun and enjoyable for that kid and develop him as much as we can. It's a real, it's a real challenge because the old, the old way of doing it, Bully, would have been, you know, it's funny, you go to a million rugby courses and you, this question gets thrown up, mm. you know, when you go into discussions. You know, you've got the weak kids, you've got the good kids, you've got kid who's come to the first time. And one of the things that used to always be said, well, we'll put one of the better kids with them. You know, well, if you're one of the better kids, you don't want to be put with the kid who yeah. can't catch. It's like playing tennis with someone who can't hit it back over the net, you know. What I've found here in particular is I've made sure that kids who are new to the sport and like, mate, I had to make some fairly um, drastic changes. So here's a, here's a classic example. So the, the the mini program here, which is that we're talking under fives. I mean, yep. under fives, it's not rugby; it's activities. Yeah, and it's yep. it's all about um, you know coordination, balance, speed. So you get them running, you get them finding space. They're just learning the the movement of their own bodies, and they're doing that for two or three years. So the actual the amount of rugby being played. And that and that's one of the things that I've sort of tried to get across to the coaches here. Take the rugby out of it and take the actions into it. Put the actions into it. So the finding space and the can they bear crawl? Can they stand on one leg and balance? Have they got speed? Can they run with a ball in two hands? They're just games. But yeah. down the track, they'll realise they're rugby specific. But at the moment, it doesn't matter that they're rugby specific, you know. They're at a rugby club. They're in a rugby training top. So it's rugby, but the actual activities they're doing don't reflect that until yeah. they get to under sort of sevens, you know? Yeah. One, and so one of the things when I came here, I, I went to a mini a mini uh, training session to observe for the first time, and they kept talking about elephant trunks. And I was like, this elephant trunk business. And it was a, it was a key word throughout the entire mini program. Remember, kids, elephant trunks, elephant trunks, elephant trunks. And it was basically their cue of how to pass, that their two arms had to be like two elephant trunks together, which meant from the word go, a kid was catching the ball with straight arms and swinging it below his or her waist and then swinging it up to the person they were giving the ball to. And I said, I walked in and banned it straight away. And I said, that is creating the worst habit in passing. Yeah. And I've always been a stickler for catch and pass. I'm, I make no um, apologies for that. Because if you can't catch and pass in rugby, you're going to struggle. I don't care what position you play. Mm. But I just said, said to them that the key is we've got to keep the ball above our waist. Yeah. And particularly little kids with a ball that's hard to manage, 
sort of swinging and throwing it. The ball was just going straight up in the air, always being dropped before it got into the arc. And so going circling back to your original question was, what do you do with these kids who are new to it? The key is put them in an environment where the first thing you teach them is the correct technique. You've got to teach them the correct technique first and foremost. Then they can apply that in, you know, what we, as I said, what we call the action zones or the game zones. But if they're doing, because the technique is what's going to let them down, you know, and whether that's, you know, if we keep using catch and pass as an example, whether it's they've got hard hands, whether their fingers aren't pointing to the sky, whether they're not reaching for the ball, whether they're not keeping it what we call, or I like to call in the passing window, you know, and I and I use a lot of Peter Breen stuff, the rugby brick stuff. Um, you know, I use the links there and show people that because he's done exactly that. He's he's broken passing down into its A, Bs, and Cs. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's one of those things that everyone thinks people can just do, but they actually can't. <laughs> Catch and pass is a skill that's a lot harder than you think it is in certain situations. And we all know there's different types of passes. But a bad habit is harder to change than creating a, a good one. So once they've got a bad habit into them. So, you know, we, we have now, we, we've actually broken it down into static, you know, passive and active passing activities across all those mini grades where we've got back elbows bent, ball being kept, and, you know, they're using little balls as well you know, keeping it in the passing window. And we just ran that home all the time. And these are kids who have never played rugby before. It's boys and girls mixed together. Yeah. And so part of the program was to make sure that before you teach anything, make sure what you're teaching is the correct thing. And then you give it a cue that, you know, bent elbow, whatever, coaches can then identify. And as I said before, these are now all parent coaches. These aren't people who have actually been coached in rugby to any degree or level. So they need, and and again, you know, when you're in a position like I've got, you've got to look at the people who are helping you deliver the product and you've got to give them as much help as you can in identifying simple cues that they can then pass on to the kids so that the kids are doing the right skill and they're doing it in the the right way so it becomes a good habit, not a bad habit. They might, and you know, someone will say to me, "Oh, yeah, but unless they're swinging with elephant trunks, they can't throw it as far. Who cares? Move the kid closer. You mm. know, as long as the technique's right, they'll get stronger. They'll get bigger. Yeah, but you yeah. don't, you don't want to compromise technique for the, just because of the environment you're in and the age group you're in. And you know, these kids play on. Well, we've got a can't. We got a festival this weekend. I think you know these kids are playing on fields that are. 20 metres by 25 metres. I mean, it's not a, they don't need a long pass. Mm, they mm. just need to be able to get it from, from one one to another effectively without it going up above their head or down to their feet. And so I'm a, I'm a real stickler for things like that. Um, and that, that, to me, is the key to these new kids coming in, kids who haven't had the experience, kids that are weaker, give them some support in technique first and foremost, yep. then introduce them into these game zones with the better players, who are using that technique and they'll see that it'll it'll happen by osmosis. You know, they'll see it happen. It'll just become part of what they do. And I'd rather, I'd rather, you know, in a way, I'd rather slow their progression and make sure the progression's correct rather than 
push them through because we just want them playing the way someone wants them to play. Because um, my, you know, my job here, first and foremost, is to create a program that creates better rugby players um, for Valley Fort, for this club, and also give them a, a really enjoyable experience in the process. That's basically in a nutshell. And I, I just won't do that by having them talk incorrectly. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd rather compromise speed of progression to make sure the progression is correct. Yeah. And I think it's a good point there you made, you know, like, and you said before you, ref, you know, you use action zones and game zones. And so you've got the language that suits the environment that you're in. Yeah. You're still teaching the same technique in that catch pass or whatever, but you know, you use pass windows and I've heard it called, we've all called, heard it called all different types of things. Absolutely. Yeah, and absolutely. so it doesn't matter what you call it, as long as, like you said, you can cue it, you know, and do that. So sometimes you have to look at, well, I, you know, scrummage is an example. If I turn up and start talking about biarticulate lines, people just, you know, exactly. blank over. But if you get a broomstick out and go, "This is what I want," they go, "Oh, cool, okay, yeah, yeah. exactly." Uh, you exactly. know, so and I think sometimes we try and prove that we're smarter than, you know, the rest of the room and and the kids, yeah. the kids especially, they just go. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't care. And they switch off, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but having said that bully and using a scrum as an example, but if you put that kid in the scrum and they feel safe, they feel balanced and they feel strong. Yep. Tick. Yep. Big tick. Yep. So you've obviously, you've obviously taught body shape, you've obviously taught body positioning, etc. You don't necessarily have to go into the, you know, the scientific detail of it. It's all, yeah. you know, it's all about just, you know, feet, knees, hips, back, neck, and head. Yeah. And if you can, if you can work your way through that, and 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 it's how the and again take it away from what the coach wants, and put it in what the kid wants. So if the kid's going to be in a scrum, how does he or she want to feel? Well, they want to feel safe, they want to yep. feel strong, and they want to feel effective. So yep. if you can get that out of what you're imparting on them through your activities, your action zones, your, whatever it is, then it's it's a tick in the column for the coach. Yeah. You know? Yeah, which I think is really important because again, it's how it's it's take it away from a success for the coach and make it a success for the player. Yeah, and I think that's that's the good point, mate. It's that success. Like for me, I get no greater joy than seeing a player that I've coached go to the next level. Oh, absolutely. And whether that's and, and whether that's from they've gone from second grade to first grade. You know, mate, that's and because you said it's not about me. You're the one that's putting right. the you're the one putting the effort in. I'm just tweaking things and making sure you're doing it right. Um, yeah. And it's it really interesting since COVID here. So we've gone from so so in the competition over here in the youth, so youth starts at um under 13 or youth 13 as they call it over here. So there's there's normally two divisions. There's a premiership division and a championship division. So basically Back in Australia, A and B division. A and B's, you know. yeah. But they call it champ, uh, premiership and champs. Now, because of COVID, most of the clubs now have been reduced from squads of two teams, the bigger clubs, down to one squad per age group for yeah. this season. So all of a sudden you've got championship kids, historically, now playing in a group that is... Um, 
has a large swathe of premiership standard kids. Yeah. Now there's two two ways you can go about it. You can say as a club, oh well, let's go and play in the champs. Let's drag those premiership historically premiership playing kids down to a champs level and play in the champs. Or we can say, oh yeah, we got seven or eight kids who've played champs. So if we put them in this environment and give them the right coaching, why don't we challenge them to play in the premiership division? Yeah. So you've got to make that choice. Now the whole two-year window thing over here is a little bit different. So we've got under-12s this year who are going from under-12s last season into an under-13-14 combined group. So there'll be 12-year-olds in there with 14-year-olds. Mm -hmm. Now, because this year we had uh, a large number of U-12s coming through, we decided because they're U-12s, they're going into an under-13, 14 champs division or championship division. But our under-16s, who are now reduced from two to one, and our under-18s who have been reduced from two to one, we're staying in premiership because we want to challenge the boys um, to get better. You know, it's an old saying that I've often used as a coach is, I don't care what we do, as long as each training session and each game, we just get a bit better. We just got to keep yeah. getting better and better. We got to see progression, and mm. kids, kids want to feel as though they're getting better, both individually and collectively. And and I've always said to me, a a really good sign would be, think as a coach, as a junior coach, what's the conversation that child has in the car on the way home from training? Yeah. Now, if what conversation do you want them to have with their parents or with their brother or their sister? It was great. We had fun. Oh, we played this awesome game. Oh, I learned to do this, you know. Or I stood around, they put me on the wing. I didn't touch the ball. I didn't, you know, what's the what's the picture that you want in the car or in the whatever on the way home to sound like and look like? It's pretty, it's a pretty easy answer, you know. Yeah. So how do you then create that environment to do it? And they want to be challenged. They want to. They don't want it to be easy all the time. They're kids, you know. They're developing kids. They're teenagers. They they want to get better and they want to feel better and they want to beat the opposition. All that's there. But it's the challenge for coaching these days is to create the environment in which they can they can achieve that because you've already achieved it. You've been appointed a coach. You mm. know, you've done your course. You've done your accreditation. You've obviously got some history in coaching or history in playing. And you know that's a, that's another story for another whole <laughs> another whole podcast which we won't go into. But you know that history that you bring as a coach to impart on the players, well, they don't a lot a lot of them don't have that history. So you know it's that environment you create which gives them their pathway and their success and their challenges and their skills and their technique and their understanding of the game of rugby, which is a big challenge over here. Yeah, like you know to explain the ball inside and out of the 22 took half a training session a few nights ago. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know, carrying the ball, carrying the ball back and whether you can kick it out and, you know, that, that doesn't come naturally to some kids in this environment over here where in Australia, it's you know, fairly common if you're in a, in a rugby club or school. So yeah. just the laws of the game can be a challenge. Yeah. That's a mighty shot, a mighty one less than a dribble of their own ball. That is monstrous.